Hi, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the SF Young Professionals Book Club podcast. My name is Letitia Liu, and I've been hosting this book club for the past two years or so. I decided to start this podcast um, mainly to capture the essence and summarize the discussions that we have at the actual book club meetings um, for people who couldn't make make it to the book club but did read the book or even for members who were there at the discussion but maybe in some time in the future you want to recall something that we talked about. So this month, August 2016, the book that we read is The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, written by Juno Diaz. So as usual, we start off with um, our first impressions of the book and well here's what people said footnotes so many footnotes um lots of spanish words and phrases injected into the book here and there so some non-spanish speakers found that difficult as well um one member commented on um how he liked the balance between high and low what he called um the highbrow, you know, literary references and allusions to writers like Joseph Conrad, Salman Rushdie, and just literary concepts and techniques, uh, lots of metaphors and symbolism, um, as well as um, contrasting it with the sort of street language, the slang, low diction in which uh, Diaz writes as the voice of Junior, the narrator. And he also makes lots of, you know, uh, pop culture references, genre fiction, you know, to uh, fantasy, sci-fi, comic books, and things like that. Um, so yeah, a lot of our uh, a lot of our members appreciated this very widely varied vocabulary and patois that that Juno Diaz really seemed to have perfected in this book. Um, other people commented that yeah the the book switched very fluidly between narrators even between narrative styles and often there were no quote marks to designate who's talking uh so this can be kind of confusing but it's also a good sign that you know the author trusts you as the reader he's not going to talk down to you or assume that you're stupid and mark everything out entirely explicitly so you as the reader have to do a bit of work too and a lot of readers do enjoy this challenge um so yeah a lot of us felt that the story like the actual plot line of the book seemed quite slow to start as the beginning was mostly a lot of exposition they talked a lot about oscar's childhood and his mother, Belicia's backstory in the Dominican Republic, and there was just a lot of information. Um, but the real, you know, the real conflict and the tension didn't really seem to begin until Belicia met the gangster and the family's curse kind of came into play. So this really got a lot of us wondering, you know, where does the Fuku and the Zafa really fit into the plot? Can, can the things that happened to Oscar's family be explained without that plot mechanism of the, the Fuku curse? So this is 
probably one of the biggest questions of the book that we will be trying to puzzle out over the course of the discussion. For many of us, too, we came to this book with little or no knowledge about the Dominican Republic, so uh, Diaz's footnotes and the personal stories that we hear in this book really helped us get a better understanding for the brutal history of this country. Uh, here's a quote from one of our members, Anthony. If you read the Wikipedia page on Trujillo, you wouldn't understand why someone would just three generations down would refer to him casually as fuckface all the time. Like, it's still that fresh, you know. Another sentiment that many of us shared was that Junior, the narrator, was actually one of the most interesting characters in the book. And we get to see him over the course of the book figuring out if Lola, who's the love of his life, whether she will actually escape the curse, um, she and her daughter. So this leads us into the first question that we discussed, which is that Juno Diaz chooses Junior as the narrator of the book, but Junior plays a pretty minor role in the events, and he's pretty much um, an outsider in the family. So what's the effect of choosing him to narrate the the story? So um, lots of us agreed that anyone in the De Leon family would have very strong opinions about the events. Um, Belicia actually didn't know her children very well, and I don't think that she would have been able to tell Oscar's story because she didn't really understand the, the nerdy side or the romantic side of him. Uh, Lola, of course, can't be very reliable talking about Belicia because she has such a fraught relationship with her mother. And I really thought that the book just wouldn't be that entertaining if Oscar were to narrate it, because Junior has, you know, he's got that cool, badass dude voice. And if Oscar were the narrator, we'd be hearing about pulchritudinous women and their numinous smiles all day long. Um, But Junior manages to pull off uh, a wide variety of moods, and we follow him through various phases of his life, starting from the the sort of insensitive uh, playboy that he is at the start, um, moving on to the you know the politically outraged him when he talks scathingly about Trujillo's um, um, dictatorship and. Uh, all the way to the, you know, the more mature, more reflective side of him, the one who's who's heartbroken about losing Lola and, and realizing uh, what what true relationships and emotions are about. So um, one of our members points out that Philip Ross actually uses similar techniques um, with narrators who are outsiders, um, who kind of pop in and out of the book as well. And, I mean, really, it's it's kind of a tradition that probably goes on, goes back to The Great Gatsby and, and even before that, where you have someone kind of uh, fr- from the outside peering in. Um, oh, and, and then, of course, if you want to talk about other inspirations that Juno Diaz has drawn from the canon to write this book, we can talk about how um, the the bit where Belicia is pregnant in the cane fields is pretty reminiscent of of Setha in Toni Morrison's Beloved, 
And both characters also have these horrifying scars on their backs. So I'm not sure that's a coincidence. Um, also in Mario Vargas book, The Feast of the Goat, I think he's also a Nobel laureate. Um, his, his book is about a girl named Urania Cabral. Cabral, same as Belicia Cabral. Uh, Urania Cabral, who returns to the Dominican Republic and kind of relives her horrific experiences there under the Trujillo regime. And, of course, you know, the whole the generational immigrant story, pretty similar to Zadie Smith's White Teeth, where she also talks about... Um, a Caribbean mother's experience in Jamaica. So it's pretty obvious that Juno Diaz reads prodigiously, and it's a pleasure to watch how he brilliantly weaves all these, um, this collage of all his influences together. But at the same time, you know, I, I kind of want to see him come up with something completely new and completely his own as well. Um, so why does he wait so long to reveal that Junior is the narrator? Um, I think he only reveals this in chapter four of the book. And so this is Diaz's game. You know, he drops us into the middle of the book, and we start off just with tons of questions. Who is this narrator talking to me? Why does he talk like that? Uh, how does he know so much about Oscar? And why is Oscar going to die? He builds up this big tangle knot of mysteries in the reader's mind, and so that's what keeps us turning the pages, because we want to see how it all pans out. Another funny thing about Junior is that we know that despite all the tough talk and him trying to be a ladies' man and all these things, we know that he's a huge nerd at heart. Like, we know that he watched more than just a couple of movies with Oscar. So this leads us into our next question, which is, what? Why does Juno Diaz incorporate so many references to science fiction, fantasy, comic books, RPGs, you know, all these nerd culture things in this book? Oscar is meant to be a break from the stereotype of this Dominican macho guy. You know, his nerdiness really serves to... Um, alienate him from everyone else. He doesn't talk like them. He doesn't do the same things that they do. Here's a CJ. Wasn't there a point where Junior was like, Oscar, do you hear yourself? So I think that Oscar's passion for the sci-fi and fantasy universe really served the purpose of isolating him the way that his grandfather, Abelard, was isolated under the Trujillo regime, the same way that his mother, Belicia, was isolated due to her family history and her blackness. Another reason is that science fiction and comic books, all that, tend to be stories about epic struggles between good and evil. And I think Diaz found that a really fitting metaphor to describe just the egregious, the, the, the horrible villainy that the Dominican Republic suffered under Trujillo. Um, he frequently uses uh, Lord of the Rings analogies, uh, calling him, you know, Sauron and calling the place like Mordor, just this place of utter blackness and evil. Also, a lot of these dystopian fiction and comic books were written during the Cold War, and that was when nuclear apocalypse was on everybody's minds. So despite Oscar's uber nerdiness and his 
questionable life choices. He's obviously a flawed character, but is he actually likable? We had to ask. One of our members found him intensely likable, especially contrasted to the other Dominican men in the book, like his cocaine-snorting uncle and the womanizing junior. Some of us found him annoying at first. You know, we were yelling at him in our heads, like, you know, if you're complaining about being fat and not uh, not being able to attract women, then just go for a run, you know? But I think what we all agreed in the end was that he was, he was um, at his core, a decent guy. He was really, you know, he was polite to people. He was a gentleman and a diehard romantic at heart. And we wanted to see the best for him. So, you know, how do we feel about the ending? The fact that he knew, he went into it, he went back to the Dominican Republic for this woman, knowing that he was going to die for it. Some of us, especially, you know, now that we're secure adults and perhaps we've forgotten about our desperation or or how crushed we were at our first love or first heartbreak, I think it may be hard for us to empathize with his state of mind. But if you think about his final act and how the one goal in his life was to lose his virginity to a woman that he loved, then uh, in the words of our member Francesca, she said, he died, but he died on his own terms. Uh, here's a quote from Alex. But his demise, I'm like, thinking about it, it's like maybe it's, you, casually reading it, you might say, okay, it's a tragedy, he dies at the end, but maybe for him, he stays in the United States, he doesn't go back to Mexico, he never falls in love with, or he falls in love, but he doesn't find anyone who will love him back or sleep with him or anything. But did she love him? Yeah, I don't that's know. That's the thing. thing. Yeah. I think she, but the, that's the thing. Like, she, wa- she walks it's away from this. And she she held it all the rest of his life for that. Maybe that's yeah. the decision he came to. So before we wrap up, let's talk a bit about one of the major characters we haven't devoted much time to yet, and that is Lola, Oscar's sister. She actually gets to narrate an entire chapter or two in her own voice. Um, so one of our uh, the guys of the group wanted to know whether the female members of the group thought that Diaz did a good job of creating a believable female narrative voice. Um, for him, he found it difficult to believe that Lola would do such a thing, um, take advantage of her mother's cancer to break away from her domineering influence. Uh, some of us pointed out that uh, mothers and daughters tend to have much more complex relationships than mothers with sons, and it did seem that Lola was suffering a lot more emotional abuse under Belicia. You know, Belicia called her ugly all the time and tried to control um, the way she dressed and wore her hair. Um, and for the most part... Actually, all of us um, female members and some of the male members of the group found uh, Lola's voice totally convincing, raised no red flags. Um, I personally actually liked Lola's narrative voice even more than Junior's because I found it you know, more down-to-earth uh, and maybe a bit less contrived. 
The other interesting thing about Lola getting to narrate her own section is that that actually serves as her Zafa. So that might be why she's the only one of the family who is alive by the end of the story. She's actually saved from the curse. It's a recurring theme in Diaz's book about the importance of telling your own story. Let's hear from Francesca. And also having their point of view, because in the very beginning he says that, oh, you know, Vargas Llosa is a Peruvian writer. He, he is telling our story. No. And he's not Dominican. Now, if we go back to the beginning of the novel, we'll find an interesting fact about the fuku that Anthony pointed out, which is that the first victim of the fuku is the admiral. And the admiral actually refers to Columbus. And Diaz writes that the admiral died miserable and syphilitic. So the manifestation of the fuku in him was he went insane due to a sexually transmitted disease. And if you look at all the other victims of the fuku, they all die due to some sort of love or sex curse because Abelard suffers due to um, Trujillo wanting his daughter. Belicia dies due to uh, an entanglement with the gangster who happens to be Trujillo's brother-in-law. And of course, Oscar falls victim to the curse in order to get laid. So I think we might have figured out the mystery of the Fuku and the Zafa. (laughs) We'll end by talking about the endings because there are multiple in this book. Uh, Francesca loves the part where Oscar dies, actually, because she loves the dark humor in it. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, uh, here, here's how it goes. Listen, we'll let you go if you tell us what fuego means in English. Fire, he blurted out, unable to help himself. I'm sure most of us got a morbid laugh out of that. And then, as for the, the, the final ending, um, I was saying that I thought it, sound, it, it was borderline cheesy to me. Um, he wrote, So this is what everybody's always talking about. Diablo, if only I'd known. The beauty, the beauty. And then Francesca points out that... That's you, good. you know that's a reference, right? No, what is it? Heart of Darkness. Oh. Heart, Heart of Darkness? darkness. Oh, okay. oh, the horror. So we've come to the end of this podcast for our book club, and I hope you enjoyed it. If I could leave you with a parting thought, uh, there is a New York Library podcast, and one of the episodes, Juno Diaz interviews Toni Morrison, who is one of his biggest literary idols. It's really great. He's really funny. So if you want to hear the author in his own words, sounding a lot like Junior, please go listen to it. I highly recommend it. Uh, Thank you for tuning in, and hopefully I'll see you at a book club sometime soon.